Thank you for checking out the Life Church podcast here at Life Church Utah, located in Salt Lake City. We hope this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to support our ministry, you can text the word LCGIVE to 95577 or visit us at lifechurchutah.com. All right, so we are talking about love today. And I love my wife, Shelly, who is here today. So, honey, I love you. I'm just going to sit and stare at her for a while. Oh, so beautiful. Is that creepy? Okay, that's creepy. All right. I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Mm, come on now. Nothing like a good peanut butter and jelly. I just love it. I love God with all my heart. Everything I can, right? Infallible and broken, but I love God with everything I can. I also love my 1974 Ford Bronco. That's, uh, there it is. Look at that thing. Yeah, baby. Yeah, there it is. It's been featured on TV. If you know, anyway, okay. Um, I love my children. I've got four kids. I love them. And my oldest daughter's married, so I'm under obligation to say that I love my son-in-law as well. So... Um, <laughs> I also love pepperoni and mushroom pizza. Mm, anybody with me on pepperoni and mushroom? Just like, ah. Oh. Some of you are like sticking your tongues out. That's not a good thing, right? Okay, all right, all right pepperoni and mushroom. Well, speaking of my kids and, uh, and Shelly, I'm so excited to let you know that uh, uh, in really, it'll be two, well, next Sunday evening, they will be here. So uh, Sunday the 23rd will be their first Sunday here and not going back to Illinois. So that's a great thing. So I'm so excited. Ah. Uh. I'm done with the bachelor life. I just want you to know I am done with that. So, uh, but I hope you know that there's a, diff- uh, there's a couple of different kinds of love that we're talking about here uh, today, right? I mean, um, I, the fact that I love my wife and I love peanut butter and jelly, and I say that in the same sentence, uh, the two loves that are there are very different. If they're not... <laughs> There's a really big problem uh, if those loves are not different. And love is a tremendously useful word, but in our culture, it's very flat. And we don't have other words. We have to, um, you know, we, we add, uh, what is that, adge- adverbs, adjectives, and fr- whatever it is, when we say really, really love, right? We have to do something to categorize what kind of love we have because love is so, um, it's just so common anymore, and we love this, we love that. How do we distinguish it? I wish there was a, another, another word that we could use, but uh, love is both a noun and a verb, and so I'm going to run through these definitions really quickly for you. Uh, love is a strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties. That might be the love between family members, and so there's that, that love that arises between family members. Since I know everybody in here loves everybody of your family, right? Everyone of your family, everyone, you love all of them. Affection and tenderness felt by lovers, that is love. The object of attachment, devotion, or admiration. So there, there can be love. So the objects of peanut butter, jelly sandwiches, broncos, things like that. Unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another. That's love extended to those maybe we don't know very well, but we are choosing to love. Uh, love is also a score of zero. Tennis, you know, okay, fine. I lost on you, all right. <laughs> And also in the verb side is to like or to desire actively. There's a sense of, of, um, of adoration and you're actively seeking out. That's the verb. And we could go on. 
And just because love is a flat word in our culture doesn't mean that it does not have power for us. So I believe today as we're, as we're going to walk through what Advent love is, I think God's going to do some things uh, to each one of us to help us understand how we can have love be active in our lives. Just like last week, if you were here, we talked about hope, uh, the first word up there. Uh, we talked about hope, and I hope that you were able to extend hope this last week and these last seven days to coworkers and family members and, and other folks that you ran in, well, hopefully not ran into them, like in a car, that'd be very tough. Um, but if you were able to uh, be able to share love love or share hope with these folks. That's what we are to do as the children of God. And so um, our love, if love is our focus, how do we start? How do we start to talk about love? I want you to turn to John chapter 3. Those who have been in the church for a while might, might know where I'm heading with this right away. Uh, but for those maybe who are new, let me tell you a little bit about this story. Uh, there's this guy named Nicodemus. And he was a religious leader in, uh, in Israel at the time. And uh, he knew a lot. There are a lot of things that he grasped and understood about God and uh, having the religion in, uh, in Judaism. And so uh, then this guy named Jesus, who I think we're f- relatively familiar with, he shows up on the scene and begins to turn things upside down. You know that Jesus does that in our lives, right? He turns things upside down. And so Jesus starts proclaiming certain things, and Nicodemus... Uh, let's call him Nick, because uh, Nicodemus is a really long word. Uh, Nick um, comes to Jesus and begins asking Jesus questions. So here's Nick at night. See what I did there? Okay. So here's Nick at night uh, in a garden uh, talking to Jesus. And he, he's asking questions. You know, what does it mean to be born again? How does this work? And what is the fear? I mean, all of these things going on. And Jesus proclaims to the book of John this statement and this 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 uh, verse that is probably the most recognizable verse in the Bible. You see it at football games. You'll see the reference to it, and people have that out in banners and things like that. But here it is, John chapter 3, verse 16. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. For this is how God loved the world. So he's saying, this, so he's, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. Think about this. This is Jesus talking to Nick at night in a garden as the son of God standing there. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. If if you could distill all of the Bible, all of the gospel into the shortest sentence possible, I think we see it here in this passage. God gave. This is the nature of God, is that he gives. And he doesn't just give anything. He doesn't give something that's worthless or trite. He gives his son. So what, what, what does that mean for us? How, how does this find a, a um, kind of a foothold in our own lives? Well, this is love. It's both a noun and a verb. And, and this, this thing and this action, without love, everything comes crashing down. Without love, the gospel comes crashing down. Without love, the story of God comes crashing down. Without love, it all breaks. Why is this? I, I think... Um, uh, John also captures this 
in a letter that he writes to a church. And uh, this is found in the book of 1 John. And it gives us a, a glimpse into the true strength of love, kind of a, a further definition of what love is. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says, God is love. If you get nothing else from today, I want you to remember that one single phrase. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. To love is to participate with God. To, uh, to be loved is to receive from God. Anytime we see love in action, anytime we see love there, there is, there is something of God in that equation because God is love. And I love it that, that the way that that shows is that God gave. That should be for us something that I hope Kind of, kind of gets deep into us today. So there are images that we use of God uh, to try to describe God, and uh, one of those is rock, right? We've got God as the immovable rock, and there are times, I think, in our prayer life, we're saying, hey, God, there's a, there's a lot of things shaking in my life. I need you to be the rock of my life. Anybody ever prayed that before? God, I need you to be a rock in my life, stable and unshakable, and that's wonderful, and that's great. We also refer often uh, as God, or to God as king. There's a sense that there is God. He's in control of everything. He is sovereign. He is over all, and he's working everything out. And so that, that's that good, benevolent king. We also have God who is, the big word, who is immutable. <laughs> he is omnipotent. He is unlimited. But is this the only way that God is revealed in the Bible? I don't think so, <laughs> because here in the Advent season, what we have is we have God revealed in a manger, <laughs> right, in, in a nativity scene where we have maybe in our home sitting up there, and we've got it, you know, nice and covered, uh, covered over with there's baby Jesus sitting in a manger and smiling. Usually the Jesus, never see Jesus crying, by the way, <laughs> but there he is smiling um, there in the manger and the, the shepherds are there and the wise men are there, even though they might not have shown up right away. So you've got all of this stuff happening here, um, showing up here. And this is also love because God gave. <laughs> now, this is an intimacy that we don't often expect from God. To, to, to send a vulnerable um, Jesus, totally incapable and totally helpless on his own to live to the next day without the help of human hands. Seems like God would have figured out a different way to do all of this. Um, I remember years ago, uh, my first car that I had, do you still remember your first car? That was kind of like a big moment, I think, for many people. Mine wasn't quite so big a moment. I was gifted by my, by my parents a 1975 Toyota Corolla. <laughs> Fantastic vehicle. No. <laughs> All right. And uh, uh, my, my, uh, so my dad had driven it for a number of years. So this would have been 1986. So my dad bought it, I think, new. And, and uh, they're horrible cars. I'm sorry. 1.6 liter, terrible engine, you know. And so uh, we had to do some work on it. My brother had it before me. I don't know if my brother caused the problems, but there were problems with the engine. And so I had to fix the engine. And I remember my brother and my dad working on it. And pretty soon I got involved, but, you know, taking off the valve covers, working on the valve train, you know, going through all of these things. Um, what I found out was, my dad was with me and instilling within me a love 
for things like working on cars and vehicles and not being afraid to tear into things that I don't know how they work. Well, nowadays, it's always YouTube, right? How many of you try to take something apart and go to YouTube and figure out how to put it back together? Anybody with me? That's what I do. That's right. <laughs> but it put a love within me, and my dad was with me. I think of my son, Jace. He's 16 years of old, and one of the things that as a father I cherish um, is being able to talk technical computer things with him. Um, I love computers. I love technology. I, I used to do like 3D graphics and things, so, so I, I know what I'm talking about. So my son, he, he loves all those things and loves the video games and all that. And uh, now he's started, he, he wants to create video games. That's right now where he is and really loves doing that. And so I'm kind of helping him with that. And what I found, though, through the last couple of years is all the things that I thought I knew, I realize now he's smarter than I am. Any parents ever get there before with your, your kids? All of a sudden, they kind of outgrow you and all that stuff. You're like, your three-year-old knows more about your phone than you do, and that's a problem. Um, but, but here he is, you know, he's now, I'll, I'll go to him, hey, Jace, what are you working on? And we were talking the other day, he's like, Dad, I was working on, this, um, uh, working on this mesh, and I'm working on the rigging of it, and I gotta flip the normals and all these things, and I know what he's talking about, but I don't know how to tell him how to fix it, okay? That's just kind of that moment. And, uh, but I love, it's, it's this moment my son and I have a chance to connect in a really cool way as a father. And there's love there because I'm being with my son. I can't wait till he gets here in just about, you know, about a week or so, set that computer up. He can show me what he's learned in the last couple of months. But being with, I think, is a valuable part of love, <laughs> to be with. And this is the story we find unfolding in Christmas. We find a God who is heavily invested in his creation. And he wants to know what is going on. He's not a God who's left us. He is a God who is eager to find out. And so invested that he takes the form of humanity, living among the dust of creation to bring what humanity has longed for but completely incapable on its own of providing, and that is a restored relationship with God the Father. We cannot do it on our own. I think we feel that within us, right? There, there's something within us that, that we fail when we attempt to take steps forward in righteousness and living the life we know we should live. And all of this happens... It starts with a manger, with a completely vulnerable child in the care of the willing lives of Mary and Joseph, who are open to participating with the Holy Spirit and the divine. These two welcome the opportunity to parent the Messiah. Think about that just for a moment. They are going to be parenting God. Parents, have you ever felt inadequate before? <laughs> Raising your children <laughs> when you don't know what to do? Imagine raising God. <laughs> Here's Mary and Joseph there. I just, you know, I can see you know, at times we've corrected our children because they've, they maybe don't get something fully. Mary's trying to correct Jesus and then Jesus said, no, mom, I know. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just tried to figure that whole thing out. So here's the story of the moment. This, listen to the simplicity of the moment of what happens when Jesus is born, but the grandeur of it. Luke chapter two, verse one. At the time, the Ro at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. We talked about Nazareth last week. Now, Nazareth to uh, Bethlehem is about a 100-mile walk. 
And uh, so, so they would walk that 100 miles, maybe six to eight days of, uh, of walking that they would do. And remember, this entire time, Mary is pregnant. How would you like to walk 100 miles pregnant? Any lady's going to go for it? All right, yeah. It says this, he took him, uh, we took with him Mary, to whom she was engaged, who was now expecting child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, that is a super simple story. (laughs) There's not a whole lot of detail. Um, When a child is born now, what's the first thing? Well, we take photos. They didn't have photos back then. Uh, But we take photos, and then we send the details of the birth, don't we? We we tell the story of the birth. I was in labor for 112 hours, you know, whatever it is. Um, (laughs) Okay. Um, I don't even know. Is that possible? Um, so you, you, you tell the story, and then you, you send the, the, uh, the info about uh, how, how tall the baby is, or how long, I guess, is the proper, how long the baby is, how, how heavy is the baby. I want to know how heavy was Jesus. I mean, you know, I want to know these details. Who was there? Because remember, they went back to the home, hometown of Joseph, so other family members were there. Or did they shun them because of the circumstances? I'm saying, who, all of this, I, I would love to know those details about it. God was taking control of this moment and saying, this is the time. This is the moment when I'm going to interrupt your reality and bring a new reality to you. And so Jesus was born. He lived a sinless life. He gave himself to all of humanity, including us. He restored love and relationship with the Father, the thing that we are completely incapable of doing on our own. And God showed through Jesus his nearness. And uh, there's a word in the Old Testament we find in Isaiah chapter 7, uh, verse 14. It says, Behold, the virgin shall give birth, and she will call him, and the word here is Emmanuel, God with us. We uh, sang that song earlier and was part of our service. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, O King of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our King of peace. This is Emmanuel, God with us. I've got a couple of observations this morning about Advent love, this this love that is shown through the act of God giving. And the first thing is Advent love is both timely and timeless. Advent love is both timely and timeless. I love it at times in the Bible that, uh, that it seems like God just wants to give us a little more detail about maybe why he is doing something. And there's lots of things that, anybody ever been confused reading the Bible? Anybody with me on that? Okay, there's definitely times I'm reading going, Lord, you would think after 26 years of ministry, I got this thing all figured out. Not a chance, right? So there's things. But there are times when I think God brings clarity for us to help us when we read. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, uh, says this. But when the right time came, God sent his son. That's timely. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, 
Abba, Father, which is a very intimate calling out to God. It's like Daddy, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. We see in here this idea of a timeliness of God's love, but that timelessness that we are among those who get to call God Father. In Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, when we were utterly helpless, anybody ever feel utterly helpless? <laughs> when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. He came at just the right time. That's the timeliness of God and his love. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, and that is a timeless love. There's no end to that love that God has expressed through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Could it be that God is calling us at just the right time to extend the timely love of God to those we come in contact with every day? Could it be that God's inviting us to present this, this timely advent love of God to the coworkers that are next to us that we know are having a difficult time? Could it be that he's calling us to, to show timely love to our spouses, to our children, to those unlovely parts of our lives when people come in and hurt us? You see, while we were still sinners, still foes of God, he chose to send his son, Jesus Christ, for us and shared that timely and timeless love. Uh, back years ago when I was in a Greeley, Colorado, there was a, a college student. Her name was Danelle. And uh, she was really challenged in her relationship with God and just saying, God, I, I want to be led and directed by you. I want to show the love of God to those around me. And uh, so she started praying. And, and one day she was uh, kind of, I think, on her way home from work or something like that. And she felt God prompting her, or you ever feel that, that voice like, you, this is what you need to do? And she, she felt that it was God, and, and she felt like God was saying to her, I want you to go buy a dozen, um, a dozen roses. And she goes, okay, Lord, that's a little weird, but I'll go buy a dozen roses. So she buys a dozen roses, thinking that might be for her mom or something like that, and just a nice gesture. And she's saying, okay, Lord, what, what's this for? And, and so she hops back in her car and starts driving. And as she's driving, she felt like God tell her, turn left. And it's just like this really strong intuition within her. And so she decides to turn left right near the church where I was a youth pastor at. So she turns left and goes down the road and it's like, okay, Lord, this is really weird. And she feels like God says, stop, like all of a sudden stop. And then right in front of a home and felt like God said, I want you to go to the home, knock on the door and give this to the person that answers the door. It's like, Lord, that's really weird. You ever tried to explain that to somebody? I was driving along, God told, you know, I'm just a, a moment there. So she, she goes up to the door, knocks on the door, a lady opens the door, and Danelle begins to tell her, hey, I don't know if you're going to believe this or not, but I want you to know, God stopped me on my way home, wanted me to buy this dozen roses, and wants me to tell you that God loves you and that these are for you. And the girl, I'm sorry, the young lady, on the other side, she just starts breaking down and crying. And Danelle's like, uh-oh, <laughs> this is the problem. But she breaks down and begins crying and begins telling the story that she's a pastor's kid that had fallen away from God many years ago and had just been praying that week, God, if you are real, send somebody my way and let, to let me know that you love me. 
Talk about timely love, folks. And I think God can use every one of us in that way because we're filled with his spirit, right? Filled with the breath of God in our lives to change us and transform us. So God showed his great love through a willing person named Donnell. God showed his great love through Mary and Joseph. God showed his great love through people that led me to Christ. God showed his great love, and I believe he can do that through you. And I also think that along with this kind of going hand in hand with that timely and timeless love of God, of Advent love, that Advent love is revealed in loving others. John chapter 13, verse 1, as we uh, wrap up, I'm going to invite our worship team to go ahead and come on up. John chapter 13, verse 1, it says this. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The full extent of his love. Some of your versions, I think, say um, he, he showed that he loved them to the end. So there's, there's this idea of, of a completeness to the love. But there's also this idea that, that he's showing a complete picture of love. And what he does is something very unexpected, which goes along with the Advent story. You see, back in the time of Christ, um, there would be servants who would be uh, in the homes, uh, potentially. And the servant would be the one, uh, somebody coming in as a traveler, dust on their feet, very, very dusty, would, would bring them over to, to, a, uh, to kind of a side, side room or something, and the servant would then kneel down and would begin to wash their feet. And that was the job of a servant. That would be a job of, of the lowliest, right? Somebody of not great status. But it says in John 13 that Jesus put aside his robe and he knelt down in front of his disciples. And the Bible says, showed the full extent of his love. He begins to take their sandals off, grabs their feet, those dusty feet, begins to wipe off those feet. What, what does that mean? It says he showed the full extent of his love. I think for us, and, and here's where I get challenged, is that God wants us to upend what we think love is. And he doesn't want us to just love up, <laughs> right, to the people who are above us, so to speak, but God is asking us to love everyone. Because God gave. I think we also should give. The Bible talks about giving honor and giving respect and, and loving those around us. And I think that this, um, uh, the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And then Jesus goes on as he explains this to the very next thing. He says, also love your neighbor as yourself. These two go hand in hand. They're not the same thing. They go hand in hand. Uh, they're not synonymous, but they are absolutely inseparable. Loving God and loving others is what we should be, what we should do. This is the idea in the Old Testament of hospitality. Hospitality. It's a lost art in our culture. We're in a very individualistic culture in America, and we enjoy our space. And so inviting others into our space and in, in essence, kneeling down and serving them and washing their feet is sometimes foreign to us. But there's this idea of radically ordinary hospitality. The thing that we should just, should just come from our lives because of what Jesus has done in us, the love of God that's been expressed to us. So what if love had a different trajectory? And what if we looked at hospitality differently? 
particularly in this Advent season. There's a book um, called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, which <laughs> so I think is great. And this is what it says in there. It says, radically ordinary hospitality is a community effort designed to take the hand of a stranger and put it in the hand of the Savior to bridge hostile words, uh, worlds and to add to the family of God. I think this is what we should be about. In fact, I don't think I know <laughs> that this is what we should be about. Radically ordinary hospitality. What would it be if we extended the timely and timeless love of God to the neighbor down the street whom we haven't seen in 15 years because we've been busy? What would it be in this Advent season if we extended love to a coworker who we know is going through an incredibly difficult time? We find out, first of all, what their allergies are, and then we make something appropriate for them. <laughs> and we share with them the love of God. Remember, it's not just doing something nice for somebody. That's, that's great. But it's doing something nice for somebody and being hospitable in the name of the Lord. That's what's important, to extend the love of Christ, that sacrificial love of Christ. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet here as we close out. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This to me is, uh, is obviously many weddings have had it. We've, we see it on plaques, no matter, I mean, in, in Christian homes, non-Christian homes, you see parts of this scripture because it is so powerful. Remember, if we go all the way back to the beginning, remember, God is love. So as we read through this, and, and you're going to hear statements about what love is, it's very easy to put God in there and say, God, of course you are that. But here's the harder part. What if you insert your name there? Rich. Am I all the things that love says it should be? So as I read this, I want to encourage you, put yourself in this in the place of love. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I'm going to jump down to the very end of that. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three. And the greatest of these is love. God is love. He showed that because God gave. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.